This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Alexis Harvey, or Alex as he likes to be called, is a registered forester in the state of Mississippi. Alex is also African-American and comes from a steeped hunting heritage tied to his family. Alex reached out to me and said, hey, why don't we talk? Let's talk about humanizing hunting. And I was like, wow, that's exactly what we try to do at Blood Origins. Is we try to humanize who we are as hunters and what hunting is doing for wildlife and communities. So there was no way I was turning down this conversation. I don't think I've ever done a podcast in Mississippi with headphones on. Really? Yeah, I wanted to do <laughs> one with, uh, I'm actually going to try and get up to Jackson and mm. do one with Will Primos. Okay. Because if you think about it, Will's never actually been, he's not on podcasts. Right. He's retired. He's right. He's by himself. Yeah, yeah. But he loves Blood Origins and was very good to us. And hmm. I need yeah. to try and put a headset on him because mm-hmm. I think that podcast would be pretty I fire. I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, I do. That's that's pretty cool, man. 
Definitely pretty cool. Alexis or Alex? Everybody calls me Alex. My mom calls me Alexis. She wanted a girl. Is it like uh, that uh, Johnny Cash song, Boy Named Sue? Yeah, sort of, yep. (laughs) (laughs) She wanted a girl. She was not going to change the day when a boy arrived. So it was, you know, 1979, and uh, she's like, well, we're going to go with that. So that's how it happened. But, uh, yeah. Um, Hunter all your life? Outdoorsman. Outdoorsman. Uh, at, at least a fifth generation outdoorsman. Yeah. So why would you make the distinction between me calling you a hunter versus an outdoorsman? <clears throat> I think it's just much broader than that. It's much more complicated. Um, you know, I, I, to me, I mean, hunting sounds like a sort of narrow thing. That's the only thing you prefer to do when you're outside. Okay. You know, and. Uh, you know, I, I grew up on a cattle ranch in central Mississippi, just just south of Jackson. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're we outdoor people. I mean, you know, uh, from gardening to, you know, livestock to fishing to hunting. I mean, it's just, it's a lifestyle. It's like who who we are, right? And so, you know, one of the things, you know, when we, um, I, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days. Put your hand on the mic. Oh, sorry, there man. we go. You're okay. good. You're good. Um, so I've been thinking about this for a couple of days, but, you know, the uh, the importance. It's like you got elephants upstairs. Oh, my God. African <laughs> elephants in Mississippi. It's okay. Well, they can't hear through the mic. No, so it'll okay. be fun. Cool. Um, so, yeah, one of the things that I've been uh, really thinking about is, you know, the sort of the stereotypes and you know, sort of changing the perception of who hunters are, right? right? Who are people that like to hunt, I guess, or, right. um, you know, for, for me, it's, it's just so much more, uh, it's, it's bigger than that, you know, in terms of, um, so, you know, we're in Mississippi of all places. We're in the, American South, right? And um, I think, you know, America, of course, North America has such a hunting heritage, right? Where um, we all recognize it as a sort of quintessential American thing, if you will. Right. Well, it's, of course. It's not, right? It's, it's a much, you know, people hunt all over the world, sure. right? And as long as you're a human, then you have some sort of... Uh, you know, hunting is literally your DNA, right? right. And uh, I think that point about America, just uh, apologize cutting in, but no. that is an important point. I think that America feels like it's almost the center of the universe yeah. when it comes to hunting. Yes. But actually hunting, right. European yeah. hunting, yeah. Is, has so much more tradition yeah, behind exactly. it and yeah. has probably a lot yeah. more roots to yeah. it. Yeah. You're right. So, um, you know, for me... Um, if if there is this sort of American hunting heritage, then by and large, a really important part, the roots of it all, are most certainly African American. And um, you know, I I I've been on a few podcasts, talk to people all the time about hunting and and that sort of thing. And there are all these sort of uh, distinctions, right? I am I am an urban 
uh, African-American from the north and I didn't know anything about hunting. And then I saw the shows and I wanted to, you know, but when you think about just, you know, rural southern culture. Yeah. Then you know that the outdoors is a uh, uh, absolutely innate part of that identity. Right. And um, for African-Americans in particular, um, you know, there is a a very long established history in terms of um, involvement, I guess, within, you know, that outdoor space. Right. I mean. You know, you know, if if we're to look at the, you know, the terrible and unfortunate legacy of slavery mm-hmm. and um, even within that period, I mean, who were the people that were doing most of the harvesting of the food? Right. Or even the growing of the food and the harvesting of the food right. and the tending to the livestock and, you know, all these other things. Um, you know, those things are just the very root of of. Uh, of 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 American identity in the south and and even American outdoor identity right sure sure um so um it's always um you know it kind of picks a bone with me when when I when I'm around and I go place and you know people start talking about hunting and I'm standing there and just kind of listening along and then people realize that I know just as much as they do about hunting and they're like you mean you hunt and it's kind of like you get a lot you get that question a lot i, I get that all the time really yeah all, all the time and and you know the thing uh beyond that you know so when i was in uh, forestry school at mississippi state which was a current theme was um, when did you graduate mississippi state 2005 okay december of 2005 so i was there from i got there in 2009 okay did you take the applied aquatic and trash i did at that time Eric under Dibble. leopold oh Dibble Dibble. taught yeah, it i then. took that class over oh you did <laughs> <laughs> i took uh i took uh, leopold's population dynamics how was I that class I did, actually i was not a formal student it was something that i wanted to do oh okay and uh that that was yeah, that was <laughs> that was quite a thing. Sorry, but, I didn't mean to interject. No, 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 no. I, I, uh, I enjoyed. It. I, and I was just telling Dr. Leopold a while back, you know, that, um, you know, now a lot of people who graduated with master's degrees are much more research oriented, as opposed to, you know, old-fashioned field biologists who yep. have just a totally different set of skills. Yep. Right. Um, you know, I. Uh, I meet a lot of people who don't have the the field uh, abilities and and skill set that I do, right? And um you know, it's it's often um you know, I'm just kind of like stuck in this sort of weird place where I don't I don't want to seem as if I'm challenging anyone, sure, sure, but, of course. you know. Um and <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, you can't hear it through the podcast, but okay. it sounds like African elephants <laughs> are stomping they, around they upstairs. They promised me that they were not going to be here today. Them and him, and now they're here. And they're just wreaking havoc. So it's it, all good. Whatever, yeah. It's um, all good. So, um, well, let me use this opportunity because uh, obviously we like to, we tend to just dive into yeah, yeah. conversations. Alexis, so Alex, uh, introduce yourself. Um, my name is Alex Harvey. I am a. Uh, I'm an outdoorsman, uh, born and raised in central Mississippi, and um, 
you know, and I sort of, I have a very unique relationship with Mississippi, if you will. My parents are from uh, just south of the state's capital in Jackson. Uh, the, back in the 1960s, they became student teachers and they did a lot of traveling around and uh, they sort of settled in uh, north central Mississippi, uh, up in the what we call the Mississippi Hill Country. Mm-hmm. And they they sort of settled in this area that was right on the hills, just off the Delta. Where was that? Uh, Holmes County. Okay. Holmes County, Mississippi, Lexington, yep, yep. Mississippi. And, um, you know, so I, I really, you know, uh, kind of growing up, you know, and, and being raised by teachers, you know, there was always a book in my hand and there was always this sort of, you know, read this, understand this kind of thing. And so, you know, I was able to really sort of delve into, you know, differences that I, that I, uh, acknowledge about how the physiographic regions of Mississippi sort of influenced how people did things differently. So, you know, where I'm from, um, and pardon me if I'm kind of getting off of what we're... <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Just um, providing context. Yeah. Um, we, um, where I'm from is the Pine Hills area, just south of, just south of the state's capital there. And, you know, up, up in the hill country, you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, this really deep, rich, what we call Lois or Lurs, as we pronounce it, you know, where you have this, these beautiful hardwoods and, you know, this, you know, right. wildlife. And the Lurs is the soil type. It's the soil type. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, and then you, you get down into the Delta and, um, you know, and there's all these sort of even tiny cultural distinctions amongst even African-Americans in terms of things they say and, you know, activities even, but, um, those things were really important for me in sort of a coming of age because I would I would suggest that I got sort of a, a broader understanding of how unique and important the state of Mississippi is and its contribution, you know, to um to to the outdoor world. Mm-hmm. I mean I mean you think about uh you know, you th- you think about the uh, some of the writers some of the writers that uh, that really wrote about those things. We, we we can talk about Faulkner, and we can talk about you know Tennessee Williams, and sure, we can sure. talk about you know we have to mention Richard Wright. You know we have to mention Ernest J. Gaines, who was from Louisiana, but you know spent a little time here. Um, you know within all of their writings, there were um, documentation of a very a close relationship that people had with nature, okay. right? And um, you know, sort of how their lives uh, progressed and played out, if you will. Um, and nature was sort of uh, an accomplice in all of that, right? Or right. Um, you know, that was really important for me for some reason i i can't and really car- and obviously it reflects in your career today it, it does i'm a professional forester and a wildlife biologist and um you know um you know i, I made that decision really um you know because you know growing up hunting i i i wanted to do something that afforded me the opportunity to be outdoors a lot right <laughs> You know, I I, um, I was really good at working with horses at the time, and I could have probably gone and done something like that, but uh, it was the nature. It was the wildlife sure. thing. You know, it was, uh, um, 
you know, you know, having the ability to be out in these green spaces when the weather was bad or the weather was great or, you know, all of that. And um, your dad hunts? Oh, did my I lost my dad when I was a I'm student sorry. at state. But sorry yes, about that. um, I you know I have uh, I have. He was your mentor. He's, he was in fact yes, okay. definitely not the only one, but certainly um, the most direct one probably. And then. I mean, I, there are too many to name. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm had a bunch of uncles, a bunch of people in the community, the elderly folks, man. Okay. The people. My my dad was a part of a hunting club here in the in Mississippi, up in Central Mississippi, in Holmes County. That is a just to this day is a very sort of you know historic place that no one knows about. <laughs> Let me ask, Where, and I apologize for the question, uh-huh. but for context, uh, only African Americans in the hunting club. Yes. All mixed. Yes. Only okay. African Americans within the hunting club, and it was. It was probably about 15 to 20 guys. Okay. And um, at that time, in that particular area, all of the land, for the most part, was owned by African Americans. Okay. And uh, they leased uh, uh, just a vast swath of the hills in the Delta, you know, where they were kind of left alone. That's some good rich country where it drops off into the Delta and you get a mix of the Delta and the the hills and whatnot. The best white-tailed deer hunting in the world. Yep. I'd tell anybody. Yeah. I would I would debate that with any person on the planet, you know, <laughs> literally. Um but I would say not only that, I mean ducks, you got quail, you got you got uh rabbits, you got squirrel. I mean it was it was everything. Hogs, I mean yeah, yeah. turkey, just um just a, a profound mix of game species. Um and then those things of course that, you know, were beyond the, the game species that we're most interested in hunting, but um do you recall your dad talking about your grandfather, his dad, mm-hmm. his grandfather hunting? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I actually have my grandfather and great-grandfather's shotguns. I still have those. Um, and they're very important, obviously, family heirlooms. And then I have my great-grandfather's father's gun as wow. well. And so five generations. We're wow. Yeah, you know. I wish I had those kind of guns, man. I've got, I'll tell you a quick story. I have a my grandfather was born in Khabarovsk, mm-hmm. Russia, mm-hmm. which is far Siberia, Russia, far okay. East Russia. And in the, he was born in 1912. In the 1920-25s, he did some work and he, and he was working for an American uh, in the port system of Vladivostok and Harbin in China. This is northern China. Mm-hmm. And the guy had a shotgun that he couldn't take with him, so he gave it to my grandfather. It was mm. a double gauge, it was a uh, side by side dual trigger Davidson. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And he shot pheasants in Tibet, mm-hmm. pheasants in China, mm-hmm. all sorts of ground birds, geese in Russia, fed the family with the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Shotgun went from Russia to Germany, from Germany to Mozambique, shot a bunch wow. of ducks in Mozambique, wow, man. went to South Africa. I got to shoot it twice. But unfortunately, the gun was not in my name. Mm. And so when the gun laws changed in South Africa, I couldn't get that gun out. I've got one of his guns with me, a 270 Seiko, but I couldn't get the shotgun because it was in my dad's name. Mm. And so my dad, being the man that he was, said, I'm not giving this gun up because it's going to end up on the street somewhere. Right. So again, remember, I just gave you the heritage mm-hmm. of the gun. Mm-hmm. My dad took a Sawzall to the stock. Mm. And he sawed off the butt. And I've got the butt framed. Really? Because the butt had a stamp. The licensing procedure in China was to burn Mm -hmm. a stamp into the wood of the stock. Okay. And that was your license. Wow. And then he took an angle grinder Mm -hmm. to the barrels. 
and he created two holes in the barrels. And he handed it over to the police. Really? He said, this is my gun. I'm handing it over. I do not want to be a legal gun owner in South yeah. Africa any longer. Yeah. Wow. That's a... That's a pretty fascinating uh, story. So yeah, I wish. Yeah. So now, I've, you know, I'm yeah. I'm building new traditions with yeah. my kids. Yeah. You know, in yeah. terms of guns and whatnot. Yeah. So let's talk about perceptions. Mm-hmm. Naturally, as you have experienced, you have a perception around who you are and whether you hunt or not. Right. Yeah. Is it? Is it just seated in ignorance? Or is it just seated in, I don't know, like I can't speak from this point yeah, of view, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, let me say again, if there is, a, if there is an ide- identifiable hunting heritage in North America, a really, really vast part of that is African-American distinctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that a lot of that is ignorance you know um and of course i don't mean that in the mean-spirited way but the reality is that people or at least we think that everybody's so different you know and we um we don't really take the time to get to know each other as much as we should. Sometimes. Yeah, but even Jonathan West. So Jonathan West <coughs> is an African American. I've heard filmed, his podcast. Yeah. Okay, and he filmed. We filmed him becoming a hunter mm-hmm. in North Mississippi. Up in up in Starkville. I saw yep. that. Yeah, yeah. And what he said was something profound to me, in that when he was talking about hunting, he was talking to his friends about hunting. Yeah. They said we don't do that. Yeah, I can I can explain why they probably would have said that, but yeah. Is it because of it? I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost a symptom of, I wouldn't say a cultural divide, African American, and 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 other races, but mm-hmm. rather an urban rural divide. You don't think so? No, I don't. I think that uh, the reality is that uh, that subject within itself is much is much more far more uh complicated and even uncomfortable than we're, than probably we're we're willing to explore because um one of the reasons why I started why I became a, a consulting forester was I was working for a civil rights organization an advocacy organization and part of that was addressing the historical issues of land loss within the African American community largely due to discrimination okay and um you know, the boy, that you know, I did that for about three and a half years, you know, four years almost. And I can tell you that I learned a lot during those during that period. And it it really uh, informed me on a lot of things that I, you know, I, you know, this issue of heirs property within, you know, the United States, which is um, you have, you know, someone who buys property and they die and they don't leave a will. Right. And then successive generations behind them do the same thing. Right. So the property is caught in this sort of complicated legal situation and no one knows who owns it. Now, if you go back to sort of just after the Civil War, African-Americans in in this country um, shortly thereafter uh, came about earning roughly 15 million acres. Today is sort of less than two million. And um, 
the reason why African Americans wanted to own land, of course, was self-sufficiency, was the freedom of being able to, you know, have your own space and not being entitled to someone telling you what to do on that space, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, there's just so many other complicated issues. So what you see is a lot of African Americans left the rural South partly because of, uh, you know, the sort of well-documented issues of uh, terror, you know, and, you know, th- these were people that were, you know, you know, shortly after slavery, they were going for voting rights and they were doing all these things. And so, you know, there was, there was a campaign of violence to sort of stop them in that progression. And then there, were, there was this period of uh, uh, land you know, and, and people seeing that by acquiring land, you thus build generational wealth, right? Right. And so um, when a lot of people had to leave the South, partly because of that campaign of terror, and, and other was a lot more, I mean, you know, these sort of other really complicated issues, part of that being lack of investment at that time on the part of the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture and in investing in those communities and subsidizing things. Uh, for farmers. And so what you have, you have generations of people that are from the rural South. Their great, their grandparents, their great grandparents and the like are from here. Okay. But someone at some point moved to the urban centers of the North and the Midwest and the West and other places. And, and those successive generations just became absolutely, um, disconnected yeah but you could say that. that about a white guy you could say um, that about a white guy leaving the country and going, and to, going the city. to the I, you city know, and saying and raising kids in the city and he's going to get disconnected and those kids aren't going to hunt and when someone comes along and goes one of their friends say comes along and says hey i'm going to go hunting they're like oh we don't do that we're right. city people yeah. yeah well again i think so but there is i agree with you i'm, I'm pushing yeah. a point no 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 I, I get your point and i and i get where you're going with that i think you're pointing out just the human nature of people sort of becoming disconnected right. with the space and and i understand that but there as you said there's a history behind yeah, there's a history african-american say that yes of course and um and i think that you know okay so if we're going to change the perceptions of who's a hunter and why if we're going to make the hunting community as important for our children and our grandchildren as it was for our grandparents we're going to have to do several things one of which is we're going to have to build coalitions of people that we don't necessarily see the world the same as right right and that might mean that we might have some conversations that we don't necessarily want to want have. to have or <laughs> are incapable of having right or don't have the equipment and the tools to having because we don't know enough, right? Correct. Um, and that has got to be a really important part of the now and the future, okay? Right. Um, and, um, you know, if you do that, then what you begin to see is a lot of the people who sort of become decision makers and, you know, push policy, if you will, or all these other things um, in key positions, you know, those are people who um, sort of, you know, who have a connection, right? When, when, when people, when, this coli- when, blah, when we build this sort of coalition of mm-hmm. people who, mm-hmm. who can identify with hunting and see that it's, it's, a, it's something as, as beautiful as, 
you know, anything else, <laughs> right. you know, even more so. Right. And so I, I think that uh, I think that that's got to be a really important part of the future. And, and I say this and I, and I say it cautiously, but I, I remember, you know, not long ago when this whole conversation about R3 came out. Right. And this, uh, you know, this dialogue about, uh, uh, you know, if we should continue to invest in R3. Right, the Matronella yes, debacle. Yeah. Right? And I, I, I say that because I don't want to seem that I'm continuing to beat up on the guy. I don't know him. You no, know? and look, um, and the guy, you know, we had him on our podcast. Right, I heard, and yeah. And yeah. it was a fantastic conversation, right. and he was uh, genuinely saying, I, where he came from, he came from a scientist's heart. Mm-hmm. And he also he came from a perspective of, okay, how do we it, he was thinking more of the, along the lines of where's money better spent for wildlife conservation and he was saying habitat is it mm-hmm. okay yeah did he get it absolutely wrong in the fact that he was like hey we don't need r3 because just go to your friends and your family they'll teach you how to hunt yeah yeah. yeah, he yeah. got it wrong because there's a bunch of sure. people like you've just articulated right. that may want to hunt, and we pointed this out in the podcast and mm-hmm. the roundup that followed it, right. that don't have friends that hunt right, and don't have family that hunt. Right. And don't have land. And don't know? have land. And that is a, are, are sort a of tied to the Yeah, they're tied to these public spaces, you know. And so in that, in that you know, I get what he attempted to say with his point. I get it. No one wants somebody else in their fishing hole or in their hunting spot, if you will, right? But, um, again, one of the things that we have to do, especially with a platform like Matt Rinella has, is understand that you might be a lot more powerful than you think you are. And so when you say something, um, other people hear it, and they react to it in a certain way. Sure. And if um, if you're not cautious and aware of other people's experiences and how they may be different from yours, sure. you could very well step on those experiences or uh, lend your perspective to a narrative that you did not at all mean mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to step into. Now, what I'll say is I, I, I really knew very little about meat eater mm-hmm. prior to that mm-hmm. and well just to make sure we've got we, yeah. matt ranella himself right. has zero platform okay he is right. the brother he is the brother he of hates social yeah. media <laughs> he detests i get it, it. he detested his right. brother obviously has right the platform. but he wrote it and it was in the meat eater publication right right or something correct like that. yeah so um here's the thing i so i knew nothing of it prior to then um when i read Stephen Rinella's response, yep. I became a fan. Yep. Because I think his response was very honest. Mm-hmm. You know, here was a guy who said, you know, man, we didn't even think about that. Like, we just, we're, and we're Matt, some guys. And Matt probably did the same thing. Yeah, Matt I, I'm, didn't sure, even I'm sure he did. I, I will, you know, that, I'm sure that's how he figured, you know, nobody will really ever read this. And this, Oh, Does he it? felt so bad when we, before we started the podcast, mm-hmm. he had gotten word of some of the reactions. Yeah. And he yeah. felt terrible. Yeah. This thing, hunting, it doesn't just belong to any particular group of people. 
it is uh, it's much broader than that. You know, if 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 we and it's say much that more important than that. it's much more important than that. You know, um, and and if we say that every human on this planet has hunting heritage in their DNA, then that literally means that everybody with a heartbeat has that, mm-hmm. right? And then we sort of get into all these, uh, you know, these these sort of uh, so you know social things that are that are that are constructed by opinions and perspectives and beliefs and and a lot of times those things really aren't real or honest or authentic Mm -hmm. or even identifiable right and you know we've sort of created all these divisions you know now look there there are plenty of people that i disagree with on a daily basis for whatever reason um but I don't have to uh, weaponize the things that I don't like about them. Mm. And I don't have to immediately decide that they are my enemy mm-hmm. or they are someone who, um, you know, I, I will never talk to again. I'll never listen to what they have to right, say, right? right. Um, you know, the only time I do that is when was I is you know if I'm talking to someone and it's clear that what they have to say is so grounded in you know just an attack on someone's humanity, then I, I can't listen to that. Right. You know, um, but you know the 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 most important component to being a, a a good human is to strive to elevate yourself through information. Right. right. And if what we do with that information is to discuss it, share it uh, with other people, and we can't seem to take the time to listen to what they may be saying, at least try and relate, right? Um, You know, I, I think we're doing ourselves a tremendous disservice. Even, you know, on a, on a personal, you know, in a, in, a, in a very personal way, if you are just dismissing away something someone said because you don't like how they look right. or you don't like what they do when they leave work or, right. you know, you don't like any of those things. I mean, you're, it doesn't mean you have to do it. Well, isn't, that the, <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the symptom of hunting and the anti-hunting culture against hunting? I, I would say partly, yes. I wouldn't say partly. I would say mostly, because here's why I say mostly. Mm -hmm. Is that we fight on the social media battlefield every single day. And to your point of providing facts, providing things that are undeniable when you just take a step back and you look at it and go, hmm. Yet at the same time, I don't expect you to like hunting. Mm-hmm. If you hate hunting and because you don't like killing animals, mm-hmm. I get mm-hmm. it. I'm mm-hmm. not telling you to love hunting. I'm not telling right. you to even accept it. Right. All I'm telling you is that hunting as an activity in your eyes based on you know, us being psychopaths and killers and whatnot right. is wrong. Yes. And even if, you th- even if we take yeah. that let's step, let's just take one more step and say, okay, let's assume that's true. Right. Which it's not, but let's assume it's true. Right. 
Then let's look at the consequence of the action. And the consequence of the action is habitat protection, sustainable wildlife mm -hmm. populations, mm -hmm. uh, economic revenues for communities around the world, yada, 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 yada. And they're all facts and they're all undeniable. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. like opinions. All right. of us have opinions. This is real, yeah. This is not everyone has their facts, right. as, as right. I've been to eloquently told. Mm -hmm. Sure. So even if you don't like it, the facts are the facts. And so to me, that is, in the social media age, people, and, and, and again, this is a symptom of society, nobody does any fact-checking anymore. Nobody does any research anymore. Fact-check the hell out of what we write. Mm -hmm. go for it do it yeah. but nobody fact checks you read something yeah. someone says x oh i believe x that's it yeah. i'm done it's like well you know that x is a lie hunting okay if, if you i think the first thing is that we need to have a genuine conversation about science okay and about ecology yep. right and how it works right right and truthfully um when people came to this country or this place, this land, and many others like them all over the world, they removed big predators um, that regulated Prey not only the animal populations, but literally the landscape as Correct. well, right? And um, not only that, in addition to that, we excluded fire, mm -hmm. which because nature has evolved, and you got one. You got one side of people said there's there's no evolution. Well, we're not going to go there. On this <laughs> you know. And then we got we got people who clearly see that right. So nature. So we have forests and ecosystems that are that have evolved with fire, and those ecosystems are thus fire dependent, right? And we have what we've excluded fire because. Uh, why? Because some people don't like it. It's afraid. You know, it's scary. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these sort of things. Um, you know, there are. There is a a, a very uh, entrenched anti sort of science way of thinking. Or that's even been accepted. A, or even an anti. Uh, I'll say anti management, but I'm also I would rather maybe call it anti-engagement let mother okay. nature do what she yeah. does mother nature will take care of herself right yeah that is, all the time which is i mean if the truth if you right, know Alex? anything about, you know if you know anything about science you you well, that's one of the first things that you learn right is that that that's just not the case okay and um especially when you have the hand of man altering right the landscape. Um, so man alter it, alters it, but then Mother Nature's supposed to just rectify. You know, <laughs> I mean that's that's just not right, right? You can't even. So I think um, you know that has to be a serious cornerstone of conversations that people start having. I think you know in you know if if you if you say you should not hunt, or there should be no hunting. Um, then, all right, fine, we'll bring back the big predators and bring back the fire. And I'm sure you'll have a lot of people who, who say, no, no, that's, that's a terrible idea, right? <laughs> you know, they don't want, you know, a, a bear or a big cat or something attacking their dog, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want Probably know, in the neighborhood. A, a fire burning up the million-dollar home that they just built in a fire-dependent ecosystem or something of that nature, right? right? 
Um, you know, so, you know, but, but there, there then is an expectation that, you know, that somehow aid will be given to take care of that concern. Right. And, um, you know, again, you know, there's just, I think what's really important is tolerance to people that see the world differently than you. Right? Across the spectrum of everything Across you the just spe- said, uh, yes. from the beginning of this conversation to now. Yes, tolerance. You know, um, we cannot just start demonizing and hating people who see things differently than mm-hmm. us. You know, well, I think I that's, mean, the, the, that's, the, that's the approach that we have taken at Blood Origins. We've taken an approach, and I've never called it tolerance, but I've, other people have called it gentlemanly. And what that is, is when people tell us, like I just saw a comment come across our Instagram that says, are you MFA? Mm. The typical response would be, F you. Yeah. you know? But our response is, okay, that's not a very nice thing to say, yeah. but... Let me explain. You may think that we're yeah. awful people, but let me explain why mm. I don't think I'm very awful. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like, as you said, you've got to tolerate yeah. that person because, again, you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know their background. You don't mm. know their education. Well, you, you would hope that somebody takes away their phone or computer <laughs> or something like that, you know, because, <laughs> you know, people who tend to do that don't do that face to face with people. <laughs> right. Yeah. They tend to know that, hey, you know, I, I could get away right. from that kind of thing. Right. And, um, you know that that you know a lot of people are emboldened i think by not only that but but by but by um the unfortunate reality that you know i don't it was kind of so when i was growing up you know it was all the boys that were older than me and there was all this sort of it was the the notion of you know in in african society it takes a village to raise a child was very much very real for okay. me right and when I was a young kid, I had a, I was just very hot-headed. I was a mean kid, okay. right? And whenever I did something that was out of line, there was probably one of the older boys there to say, you know what, I'm not going to let you get away with that, right? Um, or an adult right. or someone else in the community, right? To sort of regulate that kind of behavior, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I just, <laughs> I think one of one of the real problems is that we kind of we don't have that anymore as a as a or do we even uh, let's let's take it to the topic of, of at point mm-hmm. do we have that kind of regulation in the hunting community and that's a contentious uh, subject right because that is a contentious subject. it's like we're such a minority mm-hmm. you want to help you want to hold people accountable Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to ostracize them at the same time, and and you don't want confrontation. That's right, right. You know, um, I I get that, man. I you know, um, I I don't. So here's the thing, and and I think I I said this earlier, but if if we want, let's say, I'm just gonna zone in here. We we want you know, black and brown people to feel more comfortable in green spaces where we hunt or in the hunting community, then we have to regulate the idiot that had a few too many beers who used the N-word, you know, or just has a, a, a really terrible attitude, you know. Maybe we need to ostracize those people mm-hmm. for what mm-hmm. it's worth, right? Um, and 
I, I firmly feel that we have to become a community of people who, and we're not there yet. You know, there's a, there's a lot, to, but you know, we have to become a community of people who have a set of values that are not just intrinsic values to one particular group, but there are a series of very human behaviors that we all agree with and understand and accept. Of course, we know. Now, now here's the thing. You know, I've hunted all over the country. You know, I, I spent a lot of time up in the Northeast. Yep. I've been in the Midwest. I've been out West. Yep. I've never necessarily had an experience where I was made to feel like I didn't necessarily belong there. Okay. Um, but I have had experiences where, and what, what, what's most common around hunters is if we see each other, we wave or we, you know, we chat it up, we talk. But I have been places where people just, you know, they saw, you know, we, we were in uh, rural communities where everybody who's having dinner at this restaurant is probably here to hunt. Yep. And everybody was just talking and having a good yep. time. And then I walk in and, you know, <laughs> nobody talks to me. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, you know, and that says whether we want it to believe it or accept it or not, but that says a heck of a lot more about who we might be than who we are or who we want to mm-hmm. be or who we or how we want to be seen. Right. What we should do is humanize the, you know, because we, we, we spend a lot to sort of humanize the people that unfortunately pull the trigger sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, well, if this person had to do this or if this person had to do that, then they, this wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't even try to humanize hunting in the same way. Right. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we take these major leaps to sort of humanize things that you could reasonably look at and have some honest reservations and suspicions right. on. But we don't have the same conversation when it comes to, um, well, man, you know, there really are people in this country who uh, don't necessarily have the financial means to go to the grocery store every time. And they literally live off the mm-hmm. land. You know, and that's a really important part of how they survive, right? Um, I mean, as as we sit here in downtown Cuffwood, Mississippi, there are people that I see all the time fishing right out there who, you know, when the pandemic was, you know, really raging at the beginning, I mean, people were, you know, there was, you, you, know, you couldn't go fishing, right? And And then the uproar that that created because people, and then we recognized that people genuinely, <laughs> needed to connect with his resource right. to feed themselves. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it is a very human thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and um until we begin to have discussions like that mm-hmm. in that way with people that look differently and think differently than us, then we're not doing ourselves any favor in terms of the perception that people think about us. Right. You understand? Well, I think that's a great a great point, and I feel like um, I think you captured what we try to do at Blood Origins. We try to humanize hunting through Blood Origins. We try to capture people's hearts. 
try to capture people's stories. Um, you know, we've endeavored and strived to be as diverse as we possibly can. You know, old, young, male, female, African-American, international. Mm. Um, I like the way that you said it. I think humanizing hunting, because the humanization of hunting brings the emotional side to hunting as well, the connection. It connects it, yes. I do feel that part of the discussion is some of the things I pointed out about, you know, being able to humanize it and being able to connect with people that are different from you. Um, one of, you know, man, one, one of the best experiences that I've had was recently I went to Hunt to Eat, invited me to come up to northeastern Oklahoma sure. in one of their turkey yeah, camps. Yeah, yeah, I saw and, that. Um, and it, it was a blast. I mean, it really was. Um, what a beautiful place. Like, it was gorgeous up there. I never thought northeastern Oklahoma was as green. Right, and, right. Oh, it's pretty, man. So, um, you know, there were there was very diverse folks there, and you know, I got to mentor, you know, a transgender hunter, which was, uh, there was something about that experience that was profoundly pure. Okay, in that you're you're just talking to somebody who's new to hunting, right? Exactly, right? and you are probably one of the first voices that they have heard about talking about hunting hunting and you're helping to instill a set of ethics and values and perspective you know i talked about all the sitting their foundations of course you know you know i talked about things from like you know you know the basic you know and and we got into like you know never ever shoot turkeys on the roots you know we're talking about all these kind of things that you know that i was taught growing sure. up you know um, things that you may take for granted things that you take for granted but things that are you know even in, if we could continue to have just those sorts of basic discussions and connections with people people that are different than you are um then you know, you have uh, friends, allies um, in places that are as powerful as anything mm-hmm. else. I mean, when, when you think about it in a, in, a, in a very human way, what we all hope is that in a moment of need, Perhaps it's as simple as someone sticking their hand up in the air and granting you, I see you, right, from off in the distance. And maybe a smile, right? To me, that's always what hunting has been about. Right. It's been about connection. It's been about love and laughter. You know, it's, it's, it's still now. I lost my dad August 29, 2003. Okay. And I, for the longest time, I didn't. Sure, of course. That makes sense. Um, but when I got back, I, on, I only recently, last year, went back to where he hunted, his hunting mm-hmm. club. Amazing place. Best damn deer hunting in the world. <laughs> I don't tell anybody. But I, 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 I You just told three that. people. Yeah. <laughs> there three people listen to this podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but, you know, 
within you know within moments i was seeing deer and and i and i did you know i got a deer and i swear to you my dad was there mm-hmm. i know he was you know um because i could feel that conversation happening all over again when i was a kid tw- you know 12 13 years old of this is what you do now. This is what you do next. Mm-hmm. And then later on that day, I could feel, even I'm, I'm by myself, man. There's nobody near me. I could feel the laughter. I could feel the sense of connection and community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was as palpable as anything I could, like, as you and I sitting here mm-hmm. talking, you know. And, um, you know, it, it does bother me that people see, or at least they voice their perception of what they think hunting is. It's, it's, it's almost as insulting to me as someone saying something of what they think an African-American man is like mm-hmm. <laughs> that you don't know, mm-hmm. that you've never met, sure. right? Um, because it's profoundly personal, you know, and, um, you know, you know, when when someone says something that is, you know, if they say it in a mean way and it's really false and it's just not, you know, even honest, any of that, you know, in my mind, you just insulted all of these beautiful people that I have met. Through hunting. Through hunting. Right. And, and who raised me and all these beautiful experiences that I know as a kid. Yeah, that's a good point. Until now. You just insulted all of that. Yep. You know, and um and I don't take that lightly. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> it's hard to sit idly by when somebody does something like yep. that. You know? And um yeah. So so I you know, I think um I don't know what I think anymore. I love hunting. That's what well, I was saying. Well, that's say. a good point and a, a good ending <laughs> you know, spot. Um, yeah. I think to reiterate a yeah. point that you made, making, you know, having people that are now on your side, people that you can call on, mm-hmm. especially for hunters in our hunting community, mm-hmm. the greatest thing that we're going to need to call people on is to save hunting. When yeah. it comes to the we ballot boxes, to, when it comes to like, yeah. if that's coming up, you yeah. want as many yeah. soldiers behind you to say, that's right. No, you know, my perception's changed about hunting mm-hmm. because of X, Y, and Z, because of yeah. community, because of yeah. conversations that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for having those conversations. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for having it me. It was man. awesome. This is great. This is wonderful. I really appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.